Hey, welcome to Conversations on the Commission, a podcast where we're talking about the topics, the trends, and the issues and missions that impact missionaries and the churches that partner with them. My name is Tony Balava. With me today is Stephen Madoff. Well, hey, Tony. I love when we get this time to obviously talk missions and discuss all the different things we discuss. But I tremendously enjoy it when we're able to bring in a guest to mm. kind of participate yeah. in those conversations with us. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure probably everyone else likes hearing <laughs> a new voice added into the mix as well. Uh, today, we have the joy of having our friend, Ed Hembury, the BMI Europe director, back in the studio mm-hmm. with us. First uh, repeat guest. I know. We didn't scare him off. <laughs> it's uh, amazing he came back. <laughs> Uh, we really enjoyed when Ed uh, shared all about Bible colleges and institutes uh, on the foreign field. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it afterwards, like, wow, yeah. that was so good. And uh, we were definitely looking forward to when we can have him back in with us. Uh, what we want to do today is just pick his brain and have him share his heart with the field that the Lord has kind of let him be intimately involved with. And that mm-hmm. would be the continent of Europe. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Ed, it's good to have you back with us. Uh, thank you so very much. I think it's good to be back. It is. It is. <laughs> Last time you were here, you did talk to us just a bit about your testimony of how you were a pastor and then went ended up in Romania. Why don't you take us from when you're in Romania to now what you do as the Europe director for BIMI? Right. Well, we spent, my wife and I spent 18 years in Romania and really intended to spend the rest of our life there, as most of the directors did in their respective fields. And then the Lord uh, had a change for us. We came back in 2010 and became a Europe director. And in that, re- in that capacity, what I do is assist missionaries that are already in Europe, as well as assist new missionaries that are on deputation and getting ready to go to Europe. And my job, as I see it, is to help them uh, and to expedite their work and to facilitate their, their ministry there so they can be more successful and give them the benefit of some experience and some advice that uh, they don't have yet because they've not been there. For the established missionaries, actually, I have missionaries in Europe that have been uh, with BIMI uh, years longer than I. And so I learn from them rather than they learning from me. But uh, trying to work together just to especially open up new countries, uh, new fields of service, help the missionaries that are there with uh, all the things, logistics of, of uh, doing what they're doing. Most people, when they think of Europe, they, I think the images or the cities or names that flash instantly to their mind would be like England, London, England, uh, Paris, mm. uh, and Germany, mm. and then maybe Italy. I think that would be the biggies that people would think about. Uh, but there's so much more to Europe than than those uh, spots. So why don't you kind of give us kind of a rundown? I know it's hard and this isn't a geography class, but kind of give us a rundown of kind of of Europe and what it would be like ministering. Well, with BIMI, actually the Europe ministry started in 1962, just two years after the beginning of BIMI, with our first missionaries going to Spain and then to England. And uh, since 1962, the ministry expanded. I think we had somewhere north of 60 missionaries or so by 1988. And then, of course, in 1989, when the Iron Curtain came down and East Europe opened up, there was a great desire to send missionaries to those East European countries. 
And at one point, we had as many as, I think, 121 missionaries altogether in Europe. And uh, so those East European countries added greatly to the field of Europe and actually added what would almost be a second uh, whole separate mission in many ways. You can't look at East Europe culturally the same way you look at West Europe. Altogether, Europe with East and West combined is some 760 million people. But East Europe, of course, the former communist bloc countries, would be predominantly what we would call uh, religious countries. They would be either Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, and they would have a semblance of Christianity there. Uh, it wouldn't be, of course, true Christianity, but they would have a lot more religion, a lot more of that kind of culture. West Europe is just about totally secularized now in Europe. It's just uh, very little to do with church at all. They may go on Easter or maybe Christmas, but that's just about all that society has to do uh, with Christianity at all in West Europe. So two very, very different mission fields. And you mentioned, of course, England and, and uh, Germany and uh, some places like that. Really, Europe is comprised of about 50 uh, countries or sovereign states altogether. So there's a lot of diversity, many, many different languages, uh, different cultures within those countries. Even at this point in history and all the travel that's involved, there are very distinct cultures within the continent of, of Europe. You mentioned Western Europe and how really secularized it is, but we see in the news all the time the Islamic influence there. It seems like other than Islam, there's probably not a lot of religion. I guess my question would be, is Islam expanding and are Europeans, some of them embracing Islam, or is it just this really very severe divide? You have these Islamic uh, immigrants who have moved in and the rest have just embraced humanism and secularism and, and uh, kind of staying that way. Well, part of East Europe, particularly Russia, has had a, a large Islamic population for uh, a long, long time. There's, there's a pretty large concentration of uh, Muslims in Russia proper. But most of the Islamic uh, refugees coming to West Europe now come out of Syria and mm -hmm. uh, those countries like that. There are a lot of them. They stay in their own communities. But yes, West Europe is embracing uh, Islam uh, because they are preaching Islam, that they don't come there to integrate with West European society. They come there to, as refugees, of course, to spread their faith. I will say this about that, though, and it, it, is, a, it is a dangerous thing. At current levels, the immigration levels and the conversion levels of West Europeans to Islam, projections are that West Europe could be predominantly Muslim as early as uh, 2035 or 2040, something like that. Mm. Yeah. But we do have missionaries in some of those countries that have been able to reach large numbers of some of those Muslims who have come there as refugees. You have to realize the, the Muslims that come to West Europe, most of them are coming out of Muslim countries, and some of those people are Muslim only because that's where they were born. Mm -hmm. They're not Muslim converts. They, they, they weren't uh, ideologically Muslims. They were Muslims because they were born Muslims. And they've never heard any other uh, 
perspective. They've never been exposed to the gospel of Christ. And so when they come to West Europe, if there's a possibility of getting to befriend them and to uh, help them and to open them up to the gospel, many of them, many of them are responding and uh, trusting Christ as their Savior. Mm. And so in, in a way, it's, it, it's a two-edged sword. It's a dangerous thing for uh, West Europe in, in one way, but another way, it's an opportunity to reach people that, if they were not there, would be basically unreachable. Mm. You, mm. you can't go to Syria and right. start Baptist churches, yeah. you know. So, we, and we have seen that all throughout. Uh, mm-hmm. I know even Tony has a missionary who used to be in my part of the world mm-hmm. in a kind of closed country uh, where there's a lot of obstacles and sharing of the faith and went to Canada yeah. and is reaching the that um, demographic and ethnicity right. yeah. and really making a difference in connecting mm-hmm. with her because they're removed from the the epicenter right. mm-hmm. of it yeah. all. So that creates mm-hmm. a great opportunity there. As well, you and then they don't have the, the peer pressure. They don't have the threat of the government if they convert. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more freedom for them, and they, they understand that. So that's a good thing. So missionaries going to, to Europe now in 2021 as opposed to perhaps even when you went, and I know that you were, in, I'm still kind of focused on Western Europe, but they, they probably need to go with a little bit different mindset in in who and how they're going to reach people, the people they're going to reach and how they're going to do that. For example, when when my family and I went to Quebec, we learned really quickly that we thought we were going to reach people who were very much entrenched in Roman Catholicism. But in, in the Montreal area, what we found is unless we knocked on a Muslim door, unless we were in a Muslim neighborhood, probably eight out of 10 people claimed atheism. And so it was completely a secular society. Now, when you got outside of those bigger cities, it was Roman Catholicism. So when you go to Europe 20, 30 years ago, you were probably thinking people in more traditional, for example, France, Roman Catholicism or Church of England or something like that. But now they probably have to go with a different mindset and be prepared to to reach people who have a completely different way of thinking. Well, the, I think it's probably true here in the States as well as it would be in Europe. The big metropolitan areas are always going to be more liberal mm-hmm. uh, than the rural areas. Mm-hmm. And particularly in East Europe, if you go to the villages and things like that, it's going to be much, much simpler. There's not going to be the liberal outlook that you're going to get in. You mentioned London, Paris, places like that are ultra-liberal. And so you're going to find very, very small concentrations of anybody who'd even claim any kind of religion there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you come to the rural areas and the smaller communities, a little bit more open to at least listen to you there. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. For example, years ago, people think of Republic of Ireland. Mm-hmm. You think Republic of Ireland as a Catholic country, mm-hmm. Irish Catholics. The truth of the matter is the Republic of Ireland of today is almost totally athe- atheistic. Hmm. A few years ago, the scandal with the priest and the uh, abuse of children and things like that made such headlines there and was such a big scandal that most people just washed their hands of the church at all. Of course, in their minds, because they weren't saved, they washed their hands of Christianity in their mm-hmm. thinking. Yeah. And so you, you know, if you go there expecting them to be Catholic, well, they're not going to be. Hmm. Another thing that when you when you talk about missionaries to Europe, 
We have missions all over the world through BIMI. We have some in uh, places that are very primitive, some places that are more sophisticated. For most Americans, going to Europe culturally is not going to be the big transition that I think it would probably be going to an Asian country uh, or a Southeast Asian country because most American culture is rooted in European culture. Now, I'm not going to say it's the same, but a lot of our culture is recognizable even in Europe because it, it, it came from there. So it's not as hard for a missionary to go particularly to West Europe uh, and fit in with the culture as it is to go to some other places in the world. And obviously the languages there, uh, there are some difficult languages, but most languages be German or Spanish or something like that. The Latin-based languages, again, not like learning an Oriental language or something that would be more difficult. So there are some advantages for missionary going there. I think one of the things you'd have to keep in mind going to Europe is they consider themselves, rightly or wrongly, they consider themselves superior uh, intellectually uh, to America. <laughs> they, that's just the way they think. And so when you go there, you can't just present them with your faith in the sense that that this is what you believe, you have to have a reason for why you believe what you believe. And that reason has to be the Word of God. Uh, it can't just be an American perspective. Their, their response to you, if you tell them what you believe, you know, so what? I believe this, you believe that, so what? Hmm. And so you have to be able to share with them, give, give them a reason, a basis for your belief. And if you can establish that with them, then you've got a basis for uh, discussion. It's so interesting that with, and again, I know we're saying Europe like this massive continent mm -hmm. of all these various countries, but there really is a clear delineation line of just Western Europe, as you said, and Eastern Europe. You know, with Western Europe, which is really in a, in a lot of ways for in America, the kind of cradle of where Christianity came from to here. We think of all that happened in uh, with in Germany, which then moved into England, which then obviously led here to the United States. And so I know a lot of people kind of lament that the place that was sending out missionaries all over the world now is in desperate need for missionaries to go there. Um, so what do, do you see in that Western Europe aspect, uh, people s surrendering to go there? Or, or do you see more folks going to Eastern Europe, um, especially as you mentioned earlier in 89, you know, families flooded Eastern Europe. So yeah. where, where do you see it more, I guess, in this, and I use the word attractive to people, like when they're thinking of missions in Europe, where do you see them heading to? Uh, both, surprisingly. I mean, I, I, our recent uh, missionary candidates, we had a missionary going to Bulgaria. We have one going to Finland, uh, which are very, very different fields. I've had missionaries going to Republic of Ireland, missionaries going to Spain, and uh, I have a missionary going to Romania. So East and West Europe, there doesn't seem to be any particular one area that is more popular than another. And I, I like that. I think that's a good thing. Because the truth is, Spain needs missionaries just as much as Romania, uh, mm. or just as much as Russia. There's not one people that need missionaries more than another people. It's a matter of 
where God sends them to work. One of the fascinating things that I remember very vividly was the opening of the Iron Curtain. And I remember all the kind of lead up to that when churches across America were praying for Eastern Europe to be opened, when you would hear stories of Georgie Vins and uh, imprisoned or Bible smuggling. I remember there was even some movies made about printing Bibles and smuggling them into Eastern Europe. And, and all of these tales of, you know, trying to cross the border and can, you know, praying that guards would be distracted at the right moment and things. One of, I think, the modern day miracles has been when that wall came down and hearts were prepared uh, for that opportunity that then opened up. And so families then surrendered and went and said, what an opportunity now we have to go and give the gospel to a place that was basically locked out of, of open evangelism and open preaching. But that's switched a lot now. Huh? People, do you, do you see, as you go to churches and as you go to colleges, do you see a heartbeat or it'd be a faint heartbeat for Europe? Because back in the day, it was vibrant and thriving. I think I think one thing that happened in those early days when that Iron Curtain came down, of course, all mission boards were presenting East Europe as the great open door. And it was. There's no doubt about that. But I also think a lot of people looking at the need and seeing that possibility there, there were a lot of people who went and, how shall I say this, they didn't stay because they weren't necessarily called of God. I think they responded on an emotional level. Mm. I will say that my wife and I spent 18 years in Romania, and in 18 years we saw 17 independent Baptist families come and go, most lasting less than two years. Mm. And the reason for that is simply because they probably weren't called. They responded on an emotional level to a need. And it's good to have your emotions stirred. I'd hate to think that you could hear about the need of people by the millions and not be touched emotionally. But that's not the same thing as being called of God to mission field. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing as making that lifelong commitment. And you're not going to go to a place like Europe, probably not any mission field in the world, but particularly not Europe, either West or East Europe. You're not going to change much in a year or two. There has to be that commitment that this is where God has placed me. I'm going to spend my life here. I'm going to commit the rest of my time here. And so that involves learning a language, learning a culture, establishing relationships, uh, long-term relationships, establishing training institutions, uh, translating materials. All of those things take time. To be honest with you, a missionary is not going to accomplish too much in their first four or five years other than getting ready for ministry and uh, getting ready to start seeing things really happen. So there has to be a, a, a sense that this is where God has called me. There's no point in thinking that you're going to go to a place like Europe and change things in the first year or two. Even in, in an English-speaking country like England, you're going to, you know, you're different. It, it, it is a foreign country, even though it's <laughs> English speaking. And uh, you're not going to change them in a year or two. There's a, I, I know that for Carol and I in Romania, it was probably five years in before the people actually thought that we were going to stay. 
They had seen so many people leave, and they just expected us any week to pull up and leave. And so it took about five or six years to really establish the level of trust that we were there for the long haul. And they could trust us. We were going to be there. We were going to commit to them uh, to pastor their churches, to help them to start churches and all of those kinds of things. So it, it takes it takes commitment. As we speak about Europe, and I was just speaking with one of our missionaries recently, a BIMI missionary, uh, a newer missionary with us, and they were asking how the how the lines got drawn at BIMI. Like he was hmm. he was wondering how some parts of what fall under BIMI Europe could actually be Europe and not be another part of the world, and so on and so forth. Um, that being considered, we haven't covered all those countries that um, I think you said was it sixty countries, you fifty countries that you um, are responsible for. Of those, are all of them open, or are there some where there's creative access needed and you've got to be very careful, or maybe a missionary can't even get in in, in that country? Right. There are a few that are creative access that you couldn't possibly go as a missionary to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have some, I won't mention here even, missionaries mm-hmm. in places that are there as creative access missionaries, and we don't publish it on the social media and things like that. They're there either as English teachers or different things, different ways of getting in. But yes, there are places like that. Hard to imagine that in in Europe that we have to have creative access mm-hmm. to get in. When we when we speak about uh, the different places in Europe, I am particularly interested in the Nordic regions and mm-hmm. and such. Honestly, a, a lot of people ask me, and I don't have the right answer. How come? I don't get the Nordic regions as part of the far north. And do you want to give them away? Um, and do we have it's because a, uh, they are Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I get that question so often. They're like, "How come you don't have Iceland? How come you don't have this?" It's a it's a very different culture there. Again, right. I would imagine than you know we've kind of broken this down to just Eastern Western Europe. But I think that if you were to consider the Nordic region, you would find a whole different mindset again. Oh, yeah. Is that right? And and We had years ago, even before I became a director, we had a missionary in Norway for many years that had a, a good ministry there. We have no mm-hmm. one in Norway now. Mm-hmm. We do have uh, a man and his wife and their family on their way to Helsinki in Finland. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's, he's ethnically uh, Finn himself, so that mm. that will help a little bit maybe. Mm. He looks like a Finn, <laughs> and so that uh, I hope that he has a good ministry there. Uh, the, the Nordic countries are, if anything, more liberal, socially liberal than even West Europe. Mm. Uh, they really are, and so it's a it's a challenge all in itself. Wow. I like I like that part of Europe just because they play hockey, <laughs> and so <laughs> I just think of all the hockey players that have come out of Finland and, and yeah, all those Norway. areas, Sweden. All right, Ed, if if someone came to you, I know you go around to colleges and churches and and things, and if if a young person came up to you and said, "Mr. Hembry, I am seriously praying about Europe," what would be a piece of advice or or something that you can give them to at least kind of carry away with them? Is it something to pray about, a region to pray about? Is it a mindset that they should have, that they should kind of instill in themselves something? What would you say from your years of experience to someone who is maybe out there saying, hmm, maybe the Lord would have me go to Europe? 
That's an interesting thing. I how I ended up in Romania, I, I still don't understand myself. Um, <laughs> I'm German and Scott Irish is what I am uh, ethnically, but all the time I was growing up, and I can't even explain that. When I was a boy, while other people were interested in American history for whatever reason, I was interested in European history, hmm. and uh, I read everything I could about European history, particularly West European history, and I was always just fascinated by it. That's as far as it went until after I was saved and had been a pastor for about 11 years. God called me and my wife to go to Europe. I think that probably my interest in it was placed there by God. My desire to, uh, for all things European, I think, was put in me by the Lord. And then when God called me to go, I, I knew that I was wanting to go to East Europe. That's, I was a pastor back in 1989 when the Iron Curtain came down. And I, like many others, saw that as a great open door of God. I began praying about where to go in East Europe. And I had no idea. Most of my study had been involved with West European countries. And so I began going to the library. And I would tell somebody, if they're interested in Europe, start going to the library. Let God direct you. Let God, you know, direct your heart. I began reading everything I could about East Europe. And so over a period of months, uh, inexplicably, I guess, other than just the leading of the Holy Spirit, my interest became more and more focused upon Romania. Hmm. There's no particular reason for that with me. I, I, I am not Romanian. I don't have a Romanian heritage. I'm no way at all uh, Latin, but uh, that's the way that it ended up, and God called us there, and uh, I'm glad that he did. We had a good ministry there and so forth, but uh, God did that simply by I, I said, Lord, please show me where you want me to be. And I think God will do that for you. Well, one mm. of the things that fascinates me when I was, I've been to Europe on different occasions, and I've been to Romania, mm. and I've been to Ukraine. And one of the things that really stood out to me was uh, when I was preaching at a church, and we had someone come to Christ the day that uh, we had that church service. And the phrase that stands out that they would say is they, they called them a repenter. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and, and rather than, you know, we would say Christian. Oh, like you're a Christian now or something. Mm-hmm. But they would say, mm-hmm. they would identify them as, as, with that term of repentance. Mm-hmm. And, and I, always, I always remembered that because, as you said, there's, in Eastern Europe, there's a lot of religion. There's a lot of uh, Russian Orthodoxy and things of that nature. And so to to identify someone as a repenter made it stand out so much more mm-hmm. than just someone who say, oh, I'm a Christian, because again, Christian is such a watered down term, and especially in Europe, it would be mm-hmm. very watered down. And I love that. And I thought, man, that is something I wish mm-hmm. that we, you know, just calling everyone repenters. <laughs> uh, was that, that to me just stood out. Yeah. And I just remember Usu- that very vividly. Usually in Europe, if, if uh, especially in East Europe, if they, if they identify as a Christian, all they're saying is, I'm not Muslim. Hmm. So they're, in their mind, either Christian or Muslim. Mm-hmm. But, so that's really all they mean by that. So repenter is a term that's, it applies to both Baptist and to Pentecostal, at least in Romania, but someone who believes that you have to repent of your sin. Hmm. Wow. So. Really interesting because we just had a missionary who talked about on, on the podcast, not only 
do you call yourself a Christian? Because in, in his area of the world, that would just identify you as an American, actually. Uh-huh. His term was Jesus follower. And so mm-hmm. interesting uh, just thought on how missions in the world has changed and, and the terms we have to use to kind of identify um, who we are and who we follow. We are out of time. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> these go by really, really fast when we have, uh, when we have guests in with us. And uh, thank you, Brother Hembry, for taking the time to be with us this morning. Thank you for um, having me. And uh, we uh, look forward to spending this time with you each week. Those who are listening, thank you for taking the time to do that. And if this has been a help to you, or maybe you have a question for Brother Hembry, you'll find his contact information in the show notes. Reach out to him, or you can reach out to Stephen or myself. Our contact information always in the show notes as well. And uh, we look forward to next week when we get to spend some more time with you. Until that time, have a great week in the Lord.